Well, good morning. Welcome to November 2022. You know what's next? December, Christmas, New Year. We slide all the way to the end of the year, I feel like, once we hit November. Glad you're here today. Have you ever been in a hopeless, desperate situation? Have you ever wondered if God would even hear your prayer? Have you ever wondered if God really cared enough to do anything for you? Well, that's the story of the man that we're going to be looking at today in Mark chapter 1. As Mark tells the story of Jesus, who he has declared is the Son of God, the Savior that has come, he tells the story of Jesus going about and healing many of the people that, that, came, the people that came to him who were sick, casting out demons. He was actively involved in the people's lives. And then, then he goes from one city to the next, and he sort of does the same thing. And then when you come to Mark chapter 1, all of a sudden, in the middle of the broad stroke description of Jesus healing people, we have the particular story of one man and he is only described as, and he was a leper. And so what in the world is that about? Why does he pick out this one man and tell his story very specifically when the others were just kind of all put together in a general description that Jesus healed the people that came to him? I think it's because this leper might have been one of the most hopeless, desperate men in the ministry of Jesus. What do you do when you're hopeless and desperate? Do you still cry out? You still go to him? I remember um, when I was five years old, four or five years old, um, I came down with the mumps. If you've been around here, you've heard me tell the story. So we lived on National in Dale, if any of you know where that is. There's a little building that has been a liquor store. It's been a church, an ammo shop. I think it's a church now again. It's just a little tiny brick building, corner of National and Dale, and we lived in the house right beside it. It's a wonder that house is still standing, actually, but it is. And um, I got sick with the mumps. Now, mumps is one of those childhood diseases where you get a fever, you get sick, and you get better, right? Except for not this time. I got the mumps. I remember it hurting Behind my, my ears, the fever was high, and then I don't remember anything else until like a week later. I later was told by my mom what really was going on. I got the mumps, the fever persisted, it got higher and higher. Turns out I developed what is called encephalitis, which is a swelling of, of the brain because of the high fever. And I had to go to the hospital. And I don't remember those first five or six days in the hospital. I was only told what happened. But my mom tells me that the doctors, over the, the five or six days that I was really, I guess, I wasn't aware of anything. The doctors came to her at first and they said, listen, it's been so long. We, we, we have, we've got to let you know. You should prepare yourself. You very well may lose this child. And then they, then they gave her some other news after a couple more days. Well, if he actually does survive, the high fever has been with him for so long, 
it is very likely that he will be disabled. And back in those days, they sometimes described these experiences in very clumsy ways that thankfully we don't use anymore. But what was reported by my mom was he might be a vegetable. I mean, I'm hoping I wasn't going to be an asparagus. But anyway, um, we got it. But my mom, in the middle of a hopeless diagnosis, in the middle of her desperation, my mom believed that God had the power to help. And she was a prayer warrior. She was relentless. She called her friends. She had them pray. My dad was traveling. He had just become a missionary and he was raising money so our family could go to the Philippines. So he was gone, he was far away until finally she called him one day and she, she told him, listen, he is so serious. We may lose him. We don't know what he's gonna be like when he wakes up. If he wakes up, you need to come. And so my dad made the trip back. I think it was in somewhere in Texas or New Mexico. And he came back and he, he was there. And now from my perspective, I just remember waking up one day in the hospital. And everybody was pretty surprised because I woke up and I seemed pretty normal, as normal as I've ever been, I guess. And I kept asking my mom, when can I leave this place? I want to go. I want to go home and play. Finally, I got to leave. The doctors were astounded that I, I didn't have any lingering problems. or. And I remember walking from the car there in that little house on Dale and National beside what was then a liquor store. store. And I walked up the steps to the front door, and when I reached the threshold, my legs just went out. I couldn't feel them. I couldn't move them. My dad scooped me up, brought me inside, laid me on the couch. They called the doctor and said, we don't know what's going on, but he can't walk. And the doctors said, well, you know, this sometimes happens after that kind of a prolonged fever. It could be temporary, but it could also be permanent and there's not much we can do. You can give them hot baths. So once again, my mom revved up the prayer engine, called her friends, and they prayed. All I remember was being carried around by my dad, being put in those hot baths. You know, I was too young to understand. Their I, you know, I'm a, I'm a father now. And I know what it's like to have a sick child. You know, many of you are parents here. You know, you know what it's like to agonize over your children. And my parents did. In their hopelessness and in their desperation, they, they appear, appealed to the goodness of a God who is powerful. They prayed, God, maybe you're going to intervene. It, it, could it be that you will, you will intervene this time? Would you, would you please let him walk again? And then last year when my dad was ill, just before he died, we were traveling down national from the doctor's appointment, and I saw the house, and I just mentioned to my dad, Dad, you remember that house where we used to live? He says, yeah, I remember. I said, what do you, what do you remember about that? He says, oh, I remember looking out and seeing you run around the yard. You know, after you were sick and you couldn't walk, your mom would take you out and put you on the grass and scatter your toys around you and some a little bit far so that maybe you would be motivated to try to move. And that day, I remember looking up and there you were standing and running around playing with your toys. God is good, isn't he? 
I literally do thank God almost every day for every step that I take. What do you do in desperate times? Well, we could take a lesson today from the man in our story. In Mark chapter 1, verse 39, the story begins this, like this. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Verse 40. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now leprosy was not just a disease that affected somebody's body. Leprosy was so comprehensive. They called people who had leprosy the walking dead. I mean, there, there was physical pain and suffering. I mean, the, the, the agony of watching the sores uh, on your body develop and infection setting in, um, and you would stink because you couldn't be clean because you were, you, you're dealing with infection and body parts that you can no longer feel. The touch sensation is not something that stays with you when the leprosy reaches that part of your body. And, and so this man... He, he, had, he had the physical problems that went with leprosy. But in addition to that, if you had leprosy, your whole world changed because it was required that you leave your home, leave your family, leave your village. You, you, your social life was completely changed. You had to go out into the wilderness. You couldn't be with anybody. The only other people you could be with were other lepers. And so your social world was turned upside down. You know, you could no longer assemble and worship God or go and, and pray and ask God for help with other people. No, your, your, your social life was turned upside down, physical, social, emotionally. Man, you talk about PSD. The experience of a leper is life-changing. I mean, because of this illness, he became more desperate, just waiting to die. Oh, it was an awful thing for him emotionally. Financially, everything went, went, went away because the leper could no longer work. He couldn't be with people, touch people, talk to people. I mean, he, he was a beggar. So if you were a leper, you were physically hurting, you were socially an outcast, you, you were uh, emotionally struggling. Um, as, as a leper, you, you, you were a beggar. You, you would beg for whatever things people would be willing to give you until the day you died alone and were thrown into the trash. In addition to that, there was this stigma that came with leprosy, unlike other diseases, and that, that was kind of like this. I mean, what in the world did you do to get leprosy? I mean, there, there's some big stuff wrong with you. you that wasn't true. But that was what was associated with leprosy. And so a leper was desperate. He was hopeless physically, socially, emotionally, financially, and spiritually. So as we walk through the book of Mark, we're asking the question, who is this man? What is he like? If God came to earth, what is God like? It, it, are there people so far gone that they are outside of the purview of the compassion and the concern and awareness of Jesus. That was the question. This man, he does something very brave and very risky. He says, I'm gonna try. 
I'm gonna go to Jesus. And I don't know how it's gonna work out because they, people won't want me to be close. Jesus is a celebrity rabbi. The crowds are always around him. I'm not allowed to be around the crowds. I'm dressed like a leper. I smell like a le- leper. I am, I'm a desperate, helpless man. But if there is any hope in this world, it might be Jesus. I don't know if Jesus will help me. So he summons the courage that he has and he runs to Jesus and when he finds Jesus he kneels before him and he asks the question if if you're willing you could make me clean you know the one thing about this request is, this man is not demanding, he's begging. If you're willing, you could make me clean with head bowed and in the silence he wonders what is gonna happen next. Have you ever asked a question and then waited in silence and you felt like your life hung in the balance? That's where this man was. He wondered, well probably his disciples will they, they won't touch me, so maybe they'll go grab some sticks and begin to beat me and tell me to get away. Maybe they'll be so angry at me they will, the crowd will come with sticks and beat me to death. But he had to try. Which reminds me of one of my life experiences with my son James who wants to go to the Dollar General every single day of his life. And he, I usually take him. In fact, we've already talked about it today. After lunch, we're going to Dollar General. I just want you all to know. Sometimes I'll say, nope, we're not going today. You know, dad's got to be a no guy once in a while, right? Maybe I'm a little bit in a hurry. Maybe I didn't think I had the time. I said, nope, we're not going to our general. And, and the approach keeps coming. Oh, dad, come on, let's go. Let, no, nope, hey, stop. We're not going. I've decided. And then James pulls out his secret weapon. You know what he does? As, as we near the turn point, he says to me, dad, try just try nope we're not going to dad just just try and you know what I do most of the time I try and we go why not what's an extra 15 minutes This man comes to Jesus with great humility. And he just, he doesn't demand. He just says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He declares his faith in Jesus. This is what he thinks about Jesus. Jesus, there's something about you. I think you really are the son of God. 
And I think that as the son of God, if you decided to make me clean, you could. There was no deal offered. Do you ever go to God in prayer and it's kind of like, let's make a deal? Have you ever done that? You know, when you've messed up again and you've messed up in that area before and now you go back, and I prayed this prayer, God, God, I, I know, I know I've done this. God, if you will just forgive me this time, I promise I'll never do that again. By the way, that is the most ridiculous prayer you could ever pray because if that's an area of weakness or struggle, you don't have anything to promise. You, you, you know what we, let's make a deal? Forget that. This, this, this leper doesn't make a deal. He casts himself on the goodness and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus, not knowing if it would be there for him. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 where he says that, um, you know, he's telling it to people that are trusting in themselves and not trusting in God. And he talks about the first guy that goes to the temple to pray. And this man recites all of his good deeds. Lord, I, God, I think, I'm so thankful I'm not like that guy over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I earn. I'm, I'm here again in church. Man, look at me. Um, and Jesus says, well, and then there was this, there was this tax collector standing afar off and he would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, meaning I mean, he's bowed before God, wouldn't even look up to God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, was his prayer. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so here's, here's the deal. If, if you are here today... I promise you, your best prayer strategy is not, let's make a deal. But Jesus, I got nothing, but I'm begging. This man waits in the silence after the request is made. And in those moments, time slows down. Have you ever noticed that? And then all of a sudden, the silence is interrupted by two things, a touch and a spoken word. Jesus, in verse 41, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Why did Jesus do this? because he was moved with compassion. Why did Jesus touch the leper? Jesus didn't touch everybody he healed. He spoke words and people were healed. If there was ever a person he should play it safe with, it was the leper. What do you think in touching a leper? That's like against all social protocols. Why did Jesus do it? Because this man hadn't been touched in a long time. And his first sensation in the silence was to feel a touch. And he probably said, I actually can feel that. And Jesus speaks. I'm willing. 
be cleansed. You know, um, writer and preacher Timothy Keller points out that if this had been a Greek or a Roman leper, he most likely would have just asked to be healed. Because what's my problem? Leprosy. What is that? That's a physical, physical disease. I need to be healed from the disease. But this was a Hebrew leper, and he knew that he had a lot more going on than just physical ailment. He, he was physically wounded, but he was socially hurt. He was emotionally damaged by his experience. He admits his needs for, for cleansing, which implies he acknowledges his sin. And so he doesn't just ask for one thing. He asks to be cleansed. And that was sort of like a term that involved all of the above. Sometimes we ask God for too little when God knows we're far more complex than the one thing we're asking for. But the leper asks for this. You know, many of us today, maybe in this room, you are wounded You know, it breaks my heart when I hear people tell me their stories about how they grew up in a a violent or an abusive home and how that they don't even know what it's like to to be loved and nurtured and to be celebrated and valued because that just never happened for them. And they carry with them a womb of wondering if they're okay. And, And that womb makes them numb. And Jesus, the healer, has come to cleanse us and to heal us of all of our wounds. The things that we've done that we know are wrong, that make us feel dirty and unworthy, Jesus has come to cleanse that. The things that have been done to us, the wounds, the hurts that were inflicted upon us that make you feel like you're damaged goods or that you really don't matter, Jesus comes to cleanse that as well. Because you see, Jesus is the one who was willing to go to a cross because he so loves you and he so values you. And from the cross, when others are saying you're worthless and you're not worthy, Jesus Christ from a cross, oh yes they are. I value them, I love them. They are worth me shedding my blood on this cross. That's the beauty of the gospel. And Jesus says things that are invitations. Like Matthew 11, 28 to 29, come to me, come to me. He's calling you today. All you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, this leper got one thing right. He went to Jesus and he begged, he asked, he prayed. The second point is this, in our desperation, we need to always be asking for God's help. Always. Back to Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. You're afraid you're gonna be bothering God too much? You got the wrong idea. Jesus tells a parable, hey, listen, this is, that's not it. I want you to always pray and not to, don't give up. 
are you kidding me? You're hopeless, you're in despair, and your choice is going to be, to be to give up. The only thing that's going to kill you is giving up. If you will come to me and you will not lose heart, but you will pray, I will help you. Luke 18, 7 to 8, and shall God, Jesus tells a parable of an unjust judge and a widow and the unjust judge. It's a parable of contrast, and, and, and the unjust judge doesn't care about the widow, but she bugs him day after day after day after day. And finally, he's like, all right already. I don't care about you. I don't care about God. I don't care about justice. I don't care about helping people. I just want you to get away. So I'm going to give you what you want. And so he gives this widow what she wants, only only to get rid of her. And, and Jesus is telling this parable and he's, he's saying, listen, this judge is in contrast to the good God of heaven who loves you and values you and cherishes you. So you better keep asking. Verse seven to eight, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, here's the question. When the son of man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will we keep crying out to God day and night? Will we keep asking for his help? Will we decide that we're going to always pray and not give up? I think every single one of us, even if we live to be long, should die with a prayer list of requests that are full. I'm never going to give up. I love these people. I'm praying for them to be saved. I'm praying for these people to come to the Lord. I am praying for, oh God, for you to heal the wounds in my family. I'm isn't that what we should do? That's what Jesus says. Oh, I want to come back one day, and I want you to have many unanswered but continued requests on your prayer list, because that says so much. You know, um, I was told this week by a very godly friend of mine, you know, the, I think it's called the Powerball. Am I, am I right? It's called the Powerball. The big lottery guy thing is up to over a billion dollars. And then I heard on the news uh, a few days ago that it's worth $1.6 billion. And no, this is not an advertisement for you to all go out and buy a lottery ticket. I, I don't know, has that, has that been won yet? Anybody know about that? Is, it has been won. It has not. One, 1.6, you know what? Sometimes um, we treat prayer like a lottery ticket. I'm going to try this one. Did it hit or not? But the real way to look at prayer is an investment account. I mean, that Revelation chapter 8 is this beautiful poetic uh, imagery that talks about the prayers of the saints that are stored before the altar of God. Millions of saints praying billions of prayers. They're not lost. They're not forgotten. They are actually stored before the golden altar of God. And then in this Revelation chapter 8, the image is this, that their day is coming. 
all of those prayers for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, they will be mixed with incense and poured out on the earth. And what's going to happen? There will be peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. Do you know that your prayers and my prayers are not lost or forgotten, but stored? And it is to the glory of God that we pray even when we don't see the answer of our, to our prayer here on earth. Prayer is the active agent that keeps hope alive. My wife shared with me an, a, a, a quote by Mark Batterson, and he writes this quote from Acts 10.3 where the phrase is, one day, and this is what he has to say. I love the two-word phrase in Acts 10.3, one day, it is pregnant with hope. Why? Because one day could be today. Today could be the day that God answers the prayer, performs the miracle, or keeps the promise. In one day, God can deliver from an addiction that has held a person captive for years. In one day, God could bring a prodigal child who has run away and been gone for decades. In one day, God can provide more than someone has accumulated in a lifetime. But if you're going to experience a miracle one day, we need to pray every day. Too many people pray like they are playing the lottery. Prayer is more like an investment account. Every, every deposit accumulates compound interest. And one day, if we keep making deposits every day, it will pay in dividends beyond our wildest imaginations. So keep praying. Take the risk. Run to Jesus. Lastly, in verse 43, something really interesting happens. Jesus touches and heals this leper. And then he says this in 43. He strictly warned him and sent him away at once. So, okay, leper, you're healed. All right, now, get out of here. Go. And see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he, speaking of the leper, former leper, went out and began to proclaim it freely. And to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. I mean, you see, there were these laws about, it was even against their ceremonial laws for anyone to touch a leper. And Jesus told this leper, okay, I want you to just leave now, go follow the process and let the priest declare you clean. But the leper doesn't do what Jesus says. I wonder if Jesus said, man, I shouldn't have healed that guy. I, he didn't say that. He was God. He knew he wasn't going to do what he said. But he was so full of compassion. He was willing, willing to heal him even if it cost him. 
in the end of the story, the, shep- the, the, leper, had been, the, the, the leper at the beginning was out in desert places. Uh, and at the end, Jesus now was out in desert places. Because the leper had been cleansed, Jesus now was assumed to be unclean because he had come into proximity with the leper. And so he had to go out into desert places. People still flocked to him. The ministry still continued. But, but Jesus was willing to pay the price of that limitation for whatever long it was. Because here's the truth about love. There is no real love without genuine sacrifice. To love someone, it will cost you. It's going to cost you. If you get married, men, hope you do. Ladies, hope you do. When you get married, that relationship's going to cost you. I'm not just talking about haircuts for your wives and nails, which, wow. It's going to cost you. Just like it costs her to put up with you. And when you have a child, these children will consume you. They're going to cost you. True love that is talked about in the Bible, agape love, that, that unconditional, never give up kind of love, willing to hurt because I love you, It is going to cost you. Jesus knew that to love sinners would cost him. We have this idea that love is always fluffy and beautiful. And and it is, but Dr. Carl Menninger, a psychiatrist, found that his own clinic had this to say, love is the medicine for our sick old world. If people can learn to give and receive love, they will usually recover from their physical or mental illnesses. The problem, however, is that few people have any idea what true love is. Most people, including many Christians, seem to think that it is only in terms of nice feelings, warm affection, romance, and desire. When I say I love you, often I mean I love me and want you. That, of course, is the worst sort of selfishness, the very opposite of the kind of love described in this passion passage. And Jesus knew that to love this leper, it would cost him and he would trade places and he would be in the desert. But that was just the down payment because Isaiah describes that Jesus actually took our sins with him on the cross Isaiah 53, 4-6, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The amazing thing about the story of God's love is that it cost him. And so today, we're going to remember as we share communion how it cost him.
Maybe you're here and you didn't get uh, the communion. They're available again. We ran out, but we've, we've got more. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand, if you will. Will you stand?